Welcome to the Coach Fury Podcast. This is where fitness and geekdom collide. It's time to live long, be strong, and die mighty. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 47 of the show. Today's guest is the Zen Viking, Gus Peterson. If you've seen any of the videos of me lately doing kettlebell juggling stuff, practicing, playing around with that, um, Gus is who I learned that stuff from. And he's just a, a really great guy with a ton of experience. And we talk a lot about juggling because I think it's something that's like super misunderstood both in, in what its usefulness is and also in safety. So I'm excited for you to hear from Gus. But as always, before we get to Gus, uh, I, I want to talk about some things before I even talk about my workshops. So um, I saw a movie with uh, my daughter and with Kim and we went and saw... Would You Be My Neighbor? And this is the Mr. Rogers movie. And tears were shed. It's a, I think it's an important movie whether you liked uh, the Mr. Rogers show or not. It's an important movie about like what one person on a mission can really do. And, you know, a lot of us in coaching, we think about all this self-development, personal development, help stuff that we do for our people. And I think, you know, I find in myself sometimes I'm not living up to that standard. And literally I came out of this movie like being like, oh, I really want to help people in a bigger way. I want to try to change my perspective. And of course, within two minutes on a Trader Joe's line, if somebody tries to cut me, uh, and then in the train home, when somebody's like just totally in my way, uh, I go into fury mode. Uh, and it was just an eye-opener in a lot of levels. So uh, please check out that movie. And just also something I'm wrestling with in this day and age of like, you know, people getting fired off TV shows and James Gunn was fired off of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy off of some stupid shit he said, not condoning what he said, but stupid shit he said, trying to be funny 10 years ago. Um, folks, whether you're in a hip-hop, punk rock, metal, whatever you're into, at some point, we were trying to be provocative, we were trying to find our way, but like we can just like, yeah, he can't make a Disney movie, and we know this is more than kids, um, this person can't do that, but we've accepted all of the stuff that's gone on hip-hop. We continue to listen to Michael Jackson stuff despite all the allegations, and I wonder if that would happen now. Because, um, quite frankly, we don't know the truth about what happened with MJ, but people still in the most positive environments in the world do his thing. Like, a, a video just went viral of him. And I think it's really a tricky point right now that we're in in terms of, like, what happens, you know? And, uh, again, I'm not condoning, like, literally directly harmful things. I think there's a difference between trying to be harmful and trying to be provocative 10 years ago as a punk rocker. Like, I mean, James Gunn's a punk rocker. He wrote for Troma Films. Like, the dude has a background in the scene. Um, anyway, just, I, I can't even say what I'm processing other than, I guess we all need to, like, really look at ourselves um, and see where we've come from and where we're at and how we can be better. If I'm going to take the whole James Gunn thing and the Mr. Rogers thing and make it in one fucked up combo, there it is. Um, you might have fast-forwarded through this on the 15-second thing anyway. Um, just some ramblings. Uh, two things that really kind of stuck with me. And on that note, if I didn't just turn you completely off to this podcast and you're like, you know what, I kind of get what you're saying, Fury, um, come and take a course. We just had a great HKC at MFF Bowery. So the next thing coming up at Brooklyn Health Performance DVRT Workshop on August 12th, September 16th, Original Strength Pressing Reset, reset at MFF Bowery. The 22nd, 23rd of September, we're going to be up at uh, MSC Strength in Weymouth, Mass for DVRT Level 1 and Level 2. And then in the beginning of March, I think it's the 2nd and the 3rd, the RKC, back in NYC with yours truly. See, I'm rhyming. Um, 
Anyway, sorry for the little mini rant. Maybe that resonated with some of you. Maybe you're like, ugh, I'm done with you, Fury. Uh, I hope that's not the case, but the show's an opportunity to speak my mind, so I spoke it. And without further ado, everybody, hey, just check out Gus and I talking about literally the benefits of fun. And also, at the very end, this is important, at the very end of the show, um, Gus and I got off mic. And he actually opened up about something that I didn't want to press into, and we turned the show back on, and you're going to hear that. So when you start to hear me wrap up, don't stop the podcast yet. There's actually a really important part at the very end. Anyway, episode 47, The Road to 50. Thanks for listening. I'm very excited to have this week's guest on the, on the phone. Um, Back, if you were involved with Dragondor back in the day, uh, earlier days of the RKC, not that I was super early, one of the cool things that you saw at the certs was they would lay out this big merch table that at the time was full of books, DVDs, you could buy kettlebells, you could buy other uh, Indian clubs, they even had shirts back then, and one of the DVDs that really caught my eye was a set called K.A.T., and you had that it had this weird picture of a lion flipping a kettlebell um <laughs> and i was like what the heck is this and as i got a little deeper down the kettle well that was my first introduction to our guest gus peterson and then as i got deeper down the kettlebell rabbit hole i i started wanting to find out like what else can we be doing with these outside of sort of the big six criteria of, say, an RKC three-day series. So the big six for listeners that don't know would be the get-up, the swing, the snatch, the clean, the press, and um, the squat. <laughs> I never give the squat the love it deserves. And, and, you know, when I got interested in kettlebells, it was never just about learning to be an RKC. It was about just learning and get good at kettlebells. And when I found uh, we had the opportunity to bring Gus down to Five Points Academy, to do a workshop, it was the perfect time to just have a bunch of kettlebell nerds play with kettlebells and not worry about strength tests and not worry about any sort of dogma, but just go outside and play with some kettlebells. So uh, in this introduction, which was better than the failed attempt, Gus, let's just say, uh, tell the listeners, like, where are you from right now? Where, where are you calling from? But what, when did you start juggling kettlebells? Okay, Steve. So I'm in Denver, Colorado, and let's see. I started juggling kettlebells back in 2004, and back then it was interesting because they were kind of touting it as, "Oh, this is what special forces do," and and you know, I really wasn't interested in in all the hype. But I just looked at it and I thought, "Man, that is way cool and it's way fun." So that's how I got into it. Is I was just very interested in it right away. And um, really how I kind of got started was in Hawaii visiting my sister. She lived there and we were, we would surf and surf. Oh, Hey, hold, hold on a second, Gus. We're breaking up a little bit. Let's try going off a speaker. Cool. All right. So I, I took it off of uh Cool. So now I'm you, on just my phone. And you sound good there. And let, let's pick it up from um, uh, when you went to Hawaii. Restart from there and we'll be good. Okay. So when I really started getting serious about looking at kettlebell juggling was Karen and I were in Hawaii. We were surfing. And in between surf days, you know, I would just uh, – we would take kind of a day off, rest day, and I would 
jot down ideas and, and draw some pictures of some things that I wanted to do. And um, I kept that up for like three or four years. And I'd, I'd actually keep a, a notebook by my um, bed at night. And uh, sometimes I'd wake up and I'd write something down. And, and sometimes in the morning I'd look at it and go, what the heck? What is that? And then sometimes I'd wake up and go, whoa, wow, that, that's a good idea. So I just started jotting down ideas, basically looking at what people have done with juggling and um, what they hadn't done. And I, I was just more interested in doing things and trying things that people hadn't done before. And I just found it to be a lot of fun. Where were you finding that, like even videos or information of? Because like in 2004, YouTube, was it even, I don't even remember if it was a thing yet. Um, it's around the time YouTube started. If I could be completely wrong on this. But like where were you even finding what? your resources of watching people kettlebell juggle? Well, the first introduction I had was at an RKC with Jeff Martone. And uh, I love Jeff. Jeff's a great guy. And he's doing some very basic things. Um, and, um, but I was intrigued by it. It was a lot of fun. So, you know, I, I kind of looked at what he was doing and what the Russians were doing. And I, I just kind of figured, you know what, there's so much more that we could be doing with this. Um, and I started looking besides, you know, in, in the kettlebell world, um, RKC and Strongfords were really into that sagittal plane between our legs. And it's like, okay, what about swinging it outside our body? And I, I call that lateral style. What about behind the back? And I called that, um, behind the back style. And I started doing a bunch of different techniques like that. And then I started adding two bells to the mix. And, um, before you know it, I had five DVDs going. <laughs> it's amazing and listeners if you um if you haven't had a chance to, to see and I, i'd imagine a bunch of you on this wouldn't um look up gus's stuff and gus maybe i'm, I'm gonna ask you i'm gonna put you on the spot here will you shoot some juggling uh we'll, we'll put a little exclusive video on the coach fury podcast facebook page but oh yeah yeah because i definitely love to share people to see what this is because it's not just this idea of recklessly throwing kettlebells around or traditionally juggling where there's three bells, just, you're just making circles. Like it's uh, super complex and, and pretty amazing to watch. And one of the things why I was excited to get you on this podcast is since we went through that workshop a few years ago, it's like a touchstone of something I keep coming back. So folks like uh, Kim and I, when we first moved in together, we had a really, really crummy dilapidated backyard like the previous owner or the owner just didn't give a shit about it and let us sort of try to fix it up but the garden area was basically a mud pit so i started juggling again after a break because the one thing that sometimes is difficult in brooklyn uh and in the city is just having a safe space to juggle kettlebells you have to be able to have like a nice soft thud landing where they're not going to go you know bounce back at you so grass dirt sand is ideal um so i was doing some there and then we moved into a new place that doesn't really have any parks around us. And finally, I just got so hungry to start juggling kettlebells again that there's like this little bits of dirt where the dogs go to pee. And that's where yours <laughs> truly, <laughs> International Fitness Presenter, is uh, hanging out on Marty Field, which is where my dog used to go to the bathroom all the time before he passed on, is, is juggling kettlebells there, um, making sure I bleach the kettlebells every time when I bring them back in and my hands and everything. Right. But it's uh, what Gus sets up is, is when you watch him, it's kind of amazing. Like, can you tell the listeners um, what was the, the, the latest video of the 200 double helis? What are you doing in that video? 
Uh, actually, I did a um, hundred double helicopters. That was it. Um, with uh, a blindfold, so <laughs> I was alternating, throwing to from right to left, left to right, and I did a hundred in a row double helicopters blindfolded. So a double helicopter, folks. If you imagine spinning a kettlebell uh, horizontally, seven twenty, and then catching it, he's doing it blindfold. I've been practicing, you know, off and on for the last three years, <laughs> and I've, you know, I finally got my first one. When did I mention that? I tagged you on that like three weeks ago or so. And yeah. yesterday, and I was excited to have you on for this. Uh, yesterday, I got five hand to hand switches. So progress, right? Progress. Nice. But, you know, Absolutely. folks, my eyes are glued <laughs> to the kettlebell so to do it blindfold. It's amazing. But the cool thing. Well, that, you, sorry, go ahead, Gus. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no. I was just going to say it, it, it's interesting because it's a great exercise in visualization. And um, really what I'm doing is I'm throwing a throw that's so consistent, and it's a, it's a, um, it's a 360-degree uh, horizontal spin, and I'm practicing just so consistent or a throw that's so consistent, that, so consistent that I can actually catch it with my eyes shut. So the visualization um, is huge. The consistency of the throw is very uh, big. And what people don't probably understand, too, is when you shut your eyes, it really works your balance as well. Mm-hmm. It, it's, and so it's just great. It's just, you know, it's just a fun way to, um, to practice something that you know really well and get even better at it. Yeah. And, 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 you know, we've always had this conversation. It, it, it's like skateboarding for me. It's you, you know, there's this big, re- the, the struggle of landing a trick or, you know, making a catch with the kettlebell. And then it's, can I get that trick better? How smooth, you know, consistent can I get it? And then it's like, how much farther can I continue to push this? And I started posting right. some videos after seeing that Gus had a workshop coming up. I'm like, Oh, let, let me show him that I'm doing this stuff again. And, and maybe it'll help bring some attention to it. Um, and then I just started going down the rabbit hole. Gus threw out a challenge, uh, a double heli challenge to me that I'm, I'm slowly but surely working towards. And suddenly people started like commenting, you know, so you do the stuff and it does look cool, especially now with the phones when we can go slow-mo. But people are like, you know, it looks too dangerous. I'm nervous for you. I have anxiety. So the important thing I want to mention with this is the way Gus has set this up as a system is that it is very step-by-step. And I am never afraid in a, in a state of danger. The bell is always in front of me or behind me or to the side of me. And quite frankly, you're working persistently on sharpening your reflexes anyway. So if the bell starts to come close to you, now more than ever, you're going to you're, you're get out of the way of it. Um, so I want to stress that, that this is something that's applicable for more people than are probably listening to this thinking that's crazy. Well, that, that's a great point. And, you know, it's interesting because, um, you know, I, I didn't look at the juggling as being intimidating. It was actually Karen, my wife, that goes, this is intimidating to people. So um, I really started looking at, you know, making it safe. I look at it the same protocol as like scuba diving or rock climbing or uh, shooting a gun. We have to do, you know, some very step-by-step and clear uh, safety uh, rules. But once we get people going, it is safe. And the thing about it that we do, and I think we do real well, is we, we make it so that people can relax. Because once people start to relax, they start to have fun. And then, you know, 
they're, they're, they're controlling their, their uh, body and their, their mind, and they're keeping things safe. But we do do very uh, step-by-step progressions uh, to make it safe. And that's really the whole idea of the, say, of the system is that, you know, we, we always have a progression to make it harder. And for me, that's what's been so fun. It's like, oh, wow, cool. That, that feels pretty easy now. Now what can I do? And so I've just, over the years, just kept adding progressions. And um, basically what happens in the system, as you get more proficient, um, you, you have to become stronger to do the harder techniques. And um, so that is kind of like, you know, a martial art, you know, you get, you get better, stronger, more conditioned as you go. And um, keeping it safe is a big deal for sure. I don't want to go off topic, but I had my phone out and my friend, Mike Dolan, Fury crew member just texted me that Luke Skywalker says hi. And I have a feeling he might've just met Luke Skywalker. Um, that's kind of blowing <laughs> my mind. <laughs> Sorry to go off track for a second. I just wow. phone down. I use the, I keep the phone out so I can track if I have to make an edit point, but I can't, <laughs> I'm going to flip it over now. So that's cool. Ben, um, for you, that, 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 that's, uh, that's huge. That is massive. That's huge yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. going back, you know, it's funny. You, you, you keep mentioning fun and, you know, I didn't realize, uh, you know, you were surfing prior to this. So I think, you know, the intimidation factor that Karen brought is probably like a really good perspective on it because as coaches, no matter what we're doing, whether it's juggling or our barbell lifting or hard style, traditional hard style kettlebells, I think a lot of times that stuff is super intimidating for people, but whatever brought us right. to it, we're not looking at it that way. We're looking at it as fun and challenging and something new. So you were a surfer, you got into the juggling thing, you saw it as getting better on the wave, like ha- having that sort of mastery of flow. I see it that same way, whether it's a skateboard or my BMX bike, I see it as just like, oh, yeah, I want to, it's just obvious for me to want to learn and how to try that in my head. Of course, I want to do it. It's the difference of like, you know, uh, for me, skating uh, in a pool or skating out on the street. Like, it's just another avenue to try to explore something, right? So, good perspective to have and for coaches, regardless of juggling, to, you know, in kettlebells in particular, when you really like, uh, we talk about this at the certs, I just taught an HKC the other day, you know, like for somebody coming in for the first time that's never swung a kettlebell, try to like put in a concept what that's like to tell some general population mom or dad who's never done it before, you're going to hold on to a ball of iron, swing it as hard as you can and not let go as it comes back and forth repeatedly. <laughs> so, you know, I think even on that baseline, we have to remember that, wow, that, that sort of sounds crazy to begin with. But what do we have? We have steps. We have progressions where suddenly not only do they uh, emotionally feel confident to do it, psychologically their central nervous system is primed to do it. And it's the same thing with juggling. Absolutely. You know, and, and it's, uh, it's been really fun because, you know, I've been doing this, you know, basically in my business, um, I teach the, uh, all the traditional hard style stuff, but really what I'm doing nowadays in my business People want to learn how to juggle. And um, I just, it's so much fun for me to work with different people and figure out what works for people. And uh, again, you know, play for me is everything. If people are having fun, then they're going to come back and they're going to get better. And I'm going to keep my, my clientele, you know, and, and that's huge for me because, you know, if I just poke people, they're going to find a reason not to train with me. I'm lucky. You know, I've got people that have been with me uh, training for 18, 20 years now. That's amazing. 
Yeah. Can you give the listeners, because yeah. we, we were talking last night, tell them how long you have been training, because I was kind of blown away by it. I've been training um, with a few few uh, stints of uh, building houses and everything um, in between, but for, for 35 years, I've been a trainer full-time. Amazing and, and commendable. I, yeah. So commendable because, you know, Thank the average you. lifespan of a trainer uh, professionally is like two to three years. So uh, everybody listening. Yeah, that's what you said. Be, be like Gus. <laughs> it's awesome. And, you know, again, this, this thing of having fun, it keeps coming up because I think, you know, one of the things that Mark Fisher Fitness has brought into sort of public light in a big way, they weren't the only ones, but I think right now they probably have the, we're the most forward on it is this idea of making your environment fun and playful and silly so people want to come back. And, you know, how do you right. keep that engaging? The difference would be, I think, in terms of the juggling and some other modalities, is that, like, the actual exercise itself lends itself to that. It's one of the things I love about, like, original strength and, and DVRT, you know, with the Ultimate Sandbag, is there's a creative aspect where you can just flow with things and have fun within the implement or the exercise itself, as opposed to trying to set an environment for the same lifts that might not be viewed that way, you know, on their own, if that makes sense. Right. No, I agree. Um, and the kettlebell, that's what's so cool about the kettlebell is I, I've never seen a tool that is as diverse as a kettlebell. And then, you know, I, I love hard style. I really do. And, um, you know, it, it, it helped me so much. Um, I've, I've I've lived an interesting life. I've, I've had a few injuries. And um, so the kettlebell was a great tool for me to, um, to find when I did back in 2003. And it really helped heal my body and, and, and regain my mobility. But I, I really think that, you know, because the kettlebell is so diverse, you know, people should be doing um, hard style, but they should also, you know, complement that with learning how to juggle because the two um, activities are so different. And how cool is that, that we can have uh, one tool and two such diverse activities and, and efficient activities that we can do with it. I fully agree too, especially in the context, you know, we, we, you know, normally when people compare kettlebells to, to, to something other, it'll be like the Russian swing versus the American swing or uh, hard style versus, you know, the sport style. But it's all just a style. Like um, somebody that I actually trained, a friend of mine had commented on one of your posts saying that swing doesn't look hard style. And I think a lesson that we can all learn from kettlebells is like hard style isn't the only way. It is a great way to swing a kettlebell. I think it's probably the best way to set a foundation to actually learn how to do all these other things. But it's not everything in kettlebells isn't an offshoot of hard style. And I think just to uh, no. create an open mind about that approach as well. Have you had to deal with like a lot of struggles with that? Like, like you know, there's this, you know, rigid dogma in kettlebell land, whether it's the RKC or strong first. And I think on everybody's front, it's, it's softened a lot over the years. Um, as I think a lot of us, right. including myself, have gotten over ourselves and how special and unique it is and just <laughs> want to coach people, right? Every, I've said this on the podcast, yeah. everything's so damn precious in our world right now. It's like, so, uh, <laughs> you know, just a, like, have you had a, uh, battle that, was there any kickback when you were creating the program at Dragon Door, you know, sort of at the hub when it was, you know, the RKC really was the sole source of education. Was there kickback on doing something that wasn't hard style? Well, yeah, as a matter of fact, it was, um, 
And, you know, that was back in the day, Coach, just like you were saying, where it was, it was pretty dogmatic and people were pretty guarded about it all. Um, yeah, actually, I had a little, some, some uh, pushback from Popple because, well, this isn't really the hard style swing, but you can modify it. But what he really didn't realize and what people don't realize, here's the deal. When you throw a kettlebell, if you're throwing a 26-pound bell, if you come up with a hard style and you throw, say, a double helicopter, you're going to come up with so much um, power, you're going to overextend your hips and let go of that bell, you're going to probably end up on your butt. The way I look at it is this. Um, when I'm doing a um, kettlebell juggling, I, I do what I call an athletic swing, okay? And when I'm, stra- when I'm doing it with a lightweight, um, it's really just depends on the technique and how much weight I'm throwing. In other words, I don't need that much hip thrust. I come up with as much power as I need to stand up um, tall, hips extended, knees extended, and catch that bell. If I'm throwing a 75-pound um, bell with double helicopters, it's going to look exactly like a hard-style swing because I need that kind of of energy and hip thrust and extension to throw that, to get that bell up and be able to throw it. So, you know, it all depends with the lighter weights. It's, it looks a little softer, but it's just because I don't need that much energy and I don't have to accentuate the movement um, the way I would if I was using two bells or um, a really heavy bell, if that makes sense. I'm trying to even imagine how cool that would look to see a heavy bell double heli <laughs> like what's that well like that's gonna third? be the next thing you're gonna see oh really that's the next thing i'm gonna be posting yeah is um you know because I, I i i see people all the time you know throw, uh, showing you know flips with um a 72 pound bell but to me hey if you want to if you want to show some real strength and athleticism and prowess with the bell show me your double helicopters with the 72 pound bell so I'll, I'll, I'll be putting that out soon. <laughs> nice. Um, let's talk about some of the benefits before we go to some of the tips. I'd like to, you know, there's been some interesting questions that people have asked me about it. And I've said this on the podcast. Grace Cavada was asking about the juggling, like uh, folks, like anything that I might have put on Instagram or on Facebook or whatever that looks remotely impressive. A, I learned it from Gus and B, it's nothing compared to like high level stuff that's going on out there. Um, it's just me learning to walk like a, you know, a deer for the first time or a giraffe. Um, in terms of, uh, the physical effect of juggling and the neurological effect of juggling, cause I'll be honest, like for me, if I were to bring out my two high points, um, other than just, you know, the enjoyment of it, the enjoyment in the play brings out work capacity for me. Uh, I end up doing a lot mm-hmm. more volume over time just because I'm, I'm just having fun trying again, trying to land a trick, trying to land a trick, trying to make it better, trying to make it Absolutely. better. Absolutely. And then B is, you know, one of the things I didn't really fully appreciate until I got really down the deep dive original strength is this whole, you know, gait patterning, hand-eye coordination, vestibular system stuff. So for me, you know, uh, in my mid forties, it's like, I want to work with, if you can improve your hand-eye and you improve your vestibular system, just like you're saying with the blindfold, um, you're going to improve your balance and posture overall with coordination. And I think that's probably more long-term beneficial for somebody than simply having like, you know, a really heavy kettlebell press or a really heavy getup. Um, I think it's a great addition. I'm not saying necessarily you have to go one or the other, but what would, what would you say are the, the, the big 
benefits of somebody that puts a lot more kettlebell juggling into their program than perhaps, you know, just every now and then once a month tries to do some tricks. Cause right now it's like twi- basically uh, I juggle probably twice a week at this point. Which is great. I'm glad seeing you do that. You know, I, um, I think one of the big things that juggling will do for you is build up your nervous system reserve. So like, um, say for instance, like out here in Colorado, you know, people ski and it's real common at the end of the day, when people get tired, they get sloppy and that's when they get hurt. Well, when we're building up our nervous system reserve, you know, we are really building the skill of being able to keep our focus, keep our fine motor control, um, even as we get stressed and fatigued. And, you know, that's just a great thing to have in life, um, whether, you know, you're a fireman and, and you, you get a call and you have to go out and you have to, um, you know, cut somebody out of a car with the jaw, jaws of life. You have to be able to keep your focus and your strength and control that, that instrument so you don't hurt yourself or anybody else. Um, for me, you know, skiing or, you know, um, I'm, a, I'm a pretty good carpenter. And when I'm, you know, building things, I just notice all the time that, you know, um, my focus and, um, you know, my, my uh, coordination and, and everything, even as if I've had a long day, uh, is really good. And on the ski slope, you know, the way I ski in the morning is exactly the way I ski to, to, to the end of the day. So, you know, being able to keep that focus and, and keep your body under control um, by building up your nervous uh, system reserve, I think that's huge. And I think that's one of the biggest things. And I don't think people think about that much. No, I'd agree. It's interesting. Some, some of these things like the lines connecting now between my original strength training and, and with the juggling added on, um, uh, folks, if you're not familiar with original strength or even if Gus isn't, it's uh, Tim Anderson and Danny Almeida's program. And it's, uh, you know, it deals with the, the developmental sequence. So, you know, using your head, breathing, rocking, rolling, crawling, marching, skipping. And, you know, for example, I've been, I've been going back for the first time, in like maybe 15 years, I took a BMX bike into the local skate park and started, you know, riding around in the pool again. And, you know, like in uh, surfing or snowboarding, I don't know enough about skiing, but there's always like a front side or a backside turn or carve, and one is always more natural than the other. And for Mm -hmm. a a bit as I was trying to get used to it, going in this one direction was like really scary to me. I'd hit this one wall and and sort of choke. It's the only fall I've actually taken knock on wood since I did. I took a pretty good hit into the wall. And then... I started bleeding with my eyes, you know, like trying to like, I'm going to go there, not looking what the wall's coming up, but actually looking past the wall where I wanted to go. Uh, OS came into my oh. brain and then, you know, trying to relax my breathing, which was very os mm-hmm. And also what juggling does is, you know, hard style is great for what it is, but juggling, it's more in the moment even than a swing. Because you're right. making micro connect uh, correctives along, and that's how it feels in a pool when you're, you know, when you when you you've gone a good or a bad carve around or something like it, it's you're making micro corrections, not just a big move. Like I know how to turn the handlebars, but like maybe I hit a different, slightly different part of the wall this time. This curve feels a little different, right. and that for me 
remove that it's a pool, that's what life is. It's all about physical microcorrectives, whether or not you're having the ability to make these things on a subconscious level very quickly, right? I know we're talking reflexes, um, but in fitness, we get so caught up on the idea of tension and, and, and core, but what does that really translate in? And what does bulletproofing really mean, right? Or armor building. It's not just about getting bigger muscles or getting strong. It's also about being able to move, being able to transfer force. And, you know, the juggling has definitely had a massive impact on that um, and really played super well with the original strength stuff. And I, as I'm saying this, I'm like, maybe you and Tim need to have a talk <laughs> about a, well, side, a side project right there. I'm a there. big fan of original strength. Yeah, no, I'm a big fan of original strength and Tim Anderson, um, and I love this stuff. And, and you know, uh, he's a great presenter, and it's so much fun, you know, and I love that. Um, but you're right, you know, th- those corrective um, aspects of when we're training. And, you know, so CAT stands for Kettlebell Athletic Training, okay? And so what I think I'm doing when I'm working with people is, you know, I'm, re- I'm, yeah, we're, we're working strength, we're working conditioning, and we're having a lot of fun. But I'm also helping people work their athletic build, uh, abilities, you know, and their athletic skills. So, you know, how, how to, you know, we do uh, pirouettes with uh, the bell, which I remember you did in New York um, yep. way back when where we were pirouetting, throwing the flips, and we do that with double helix. So there's so much movement involved, so much athleticism involved. Um, it, it's really good. And then consider this, Coach. We are asking people – to learn to throw with their non-dominant hand. Right? Yeah. So, you know, how many, um, you know, uh, nerve endings are in the brain are we connecting um, when we're doing that? Because, you know, that's really difficult. And that's one of the things I love. When I was making the, the system up, I was like, oh, oh, shit, man. Oh, this is a great technique. And I go, oh, shit. I got to learn how to do this on my left hand. You know? <laughs> but... That was awesome because learning how to control that non-dominant side um, with my throws was huge. And it's, it's just paid so much dividends um, because I'm always constantly challenging my, my non-dominant side uh, it's from fun. a neural and physical perspective. Yeah, the neuroplasticity boost of, of having to use that is crazy. Um, it's yeah. one of the things that I really think about. We talk about neuroplasticity specifically at the OS course and – uh, folks, that just means like your brain, it, it has the power to heal itself in many more ways than you might think. And neuroplasticity is its ability to kind of make new connections where other connections might have like, uh, you know, failed or ceased or been damaged. Like it has the ability to sort of rewire right. itself to a great point. And right. one of the things, so um, for example, you know, I, I mentioned Gus throughout a challenge for me. So I'm a righty and I almost always start my juggling with my right hand. And my first double helis and double front flips were with my right hand. And then he said, you know, Gus was like, okay, great. Uh, try hand-to-hand switches. And I was always starting my right hand. And now when I go out, I'll purposely challenge myself. I'll just make it the game of the session that I'm going to start everything off my left hand. And Smart. that's been just sometimes frustrating, but in the best way, because I'm not taking it so serious because I don't have a snatch test at the end of the day for this. I'm not worrying about showing somebody that I've just, you know, done a, something with something super heavy. I'm just trying to learn a skill on it. And it's kind of crazy how not only is my left side getting better, but the right side by default's getting sharper, right? So if I can make my left side work more efficiently, my right side's ju- it's just picking it up even quicker now. Um, 
Well, and yeah, that's it's, just been an interesting it's almost like you go that. back. Yeah, it's so it is kind of crazy because you go back to your right side, and it's almost like you know two different personalities or entities in your body, and the right side is like, oh yeah, watch this, you know, and. But it's just like you kind of you you know that you have a little bit more control on that side, and when you've been practicing on your non-dive side, you go back to that right side, and, and it does have a crossover effect, and, and it is really interesting, you know. But and the thing about it that's cool, if what I found with my clients and with myself and and with Karen, is that if you just keep on challenging yourself, I'm always amazed at the human potential, you know. And I really don't care, you know, how old people are or you know, what kind of physical condition or strength they're at when, um, when I get them uh, or when they come to me. But if we can keep them going and, and keep them interested and they keep on having fun, then, you know, that, um, you know, extended time of training and consistency really adds up. Uh, I, it's, it's a constant theme on this show. And one of the great turns with at least the, the, you know, progressive coaches of fitness that aren't necessarily looking at marketing angles that we all know it's not so much about the killer one workout or the killer six weeks. It's about like training consistently through your whole life. And right. this is another, you know, great way to gamify and to make it individual. And you can, you know, what, what's cool about it is like you can compete against a friend, you know, like, Hey, Hey, how many in a row can you do with this flip or whatever? Um, but you know, I, I, so I started teaching my friend Jack. So my friend Jack trains with me. He's one of my longest running clients right now. So we're, we're coming up on six years together. And he's nice. got a very stressful job um, where, you know, he'll come in late sometimes. And, and you know, he's, he's got his phone in and out of his hand. And I can't fault him. Like, he's got his, the demands of his job require this. And as much as trainers love to, like, make hard lines and crap on people, like, until your right. paycheck is dependent on a phone, like I don't get in the way of that. So we go out and I started showing him from juggling and, you know, basically a simplified version of what you showed me or as best as I can remember, but just safe, safe, safe steps. Mind you folks, he already had, has been swinging kettlebells and doing getups. He's already got solid technique. So he had a great baseline for this and started with like nice. one flip, started with another, started with the heli, started with transfers and you know, he has a blast. So then we just take turns like that. The session just becomes like, all right, try this, do that. And it's one of the things he looks forward to as opposed to like, am I going to have a good deadlift day? Right. Or right. I couldn't, you know, how come I can't do a get up with this kettlebell because I did this before last week. Well, maybe it's because you're super stressed out. Maybe it's because you didn't eat right. well last time or didn't sleep well. So it sort of removes yeah. a lot of that, like that worry, because uh, let's face it, most of the people that come up with us uh, to train with us, you know what? The one thing they have probably enough of in their life is stress. <laughs> so stress, yeah. any, anytime you can take the tension off, um, the emotional tension, that's a good point. And again, you mentioned the light kettlebells. Uh, one of the things that stuck out to me from the workshop. So we did the workshop. It was like 2013, wasn't it, Gus? It was a while ago now. Was it? Yeah, 20, I think it was about 2013, yeah. Right? Or even 2012, right in there, yeah. Oof, 2012, that's too long. So <laughs> one of the things I remember was after the course, and most of the time we were dealing with like 12K bells, so 26-pound bells, is I remember feeling just as tired I did after day one of my RKC. And I went through the RKC in 2010 where you snatch test day one. 
and we had punishments and all that. Now I'm going to tell you the emotional experience of going through a level one RKC with a 24 K kettlebell and testing and punishments and carries around like, I don't know, a 40,000 square foot facility and blah, blah, blah. Uh, <laughs> I was just as tired at the end of a full day of flipping kettlebells. I probably actually ended up flipping kettlebells, doing more swings than I did in the context of that RKC, just because I just wanted to get good at something. And everybody there sort of had the fun right. with it. You know, and you get that little frustration yep. thing. You know, in skateboarding, you call it focusing a board. Like when you get so pissed, you snap your board. I've never been one of those guys. <laughs> um, but, you know, you get your ego out of the way and you, and, and you adapt and you move on. And like that's a life lesson in itself about dealing with frustration. Uh, you can continue to hit your head around the wall or you could pull a Ryan Holiday and know the obstacle is the way and find an alternate path. And I think that was one of the surprising things. No, absolutely. And, you know, and, and it really is, you know, you, it is a metaphor for life. You know, it's like, okay, and part of the fun of getting something, if we just got stuff without any struggle, it wouldn't be as gratifying for sure. And so, you know, there's that aspect, but then, you know, keeping, your focus and keeping that calm demeanor and, and really, I guess just allowing yourself to go through some frustration to get better and to learn new things, you know? And I think that's really important. And, you know, it's interesting, Steve, because um, the kettlebell has taught me a bunch kettlebell juggling, especially. And it's taught me that if I, if I stay with something, you know, any endeavor, and I train smart, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get a lot better. And so, you know, it's, it's really given me that um, um, confidence to uh, persevere and keep with it. And that, I'll get that's, there. that's awesome. It, it's nice to have something that you can be, I don't want to say short-term goal-oriented, but juggling allows you to have a lot of steps to try to get, have, you know, goal-oriented at, whether it's your first flip, your first transfer versus kettlebells. I feel like in the hard style realm, we get so caught up on load and purely technique, you know, like how heavy is it? Cause you, you people are generally limited. And you mentioned this, you know, the, the sagittal plane thing, you know, one of the things that drew me to the Josh Hankins DVRT program is, is like, you know, the one thing with power lifting and with kettlebells, as most of us use it is it's so bilateral feet grounded in the floor uh, you know, creating and expressing force in only one direction um, that, you know, that, that the looseness uh, to some degree of the cat system allows that the behind the back stuff, you know, uh, you mentioned the lateral swing. Some people might know those as skier swings or uh, pistol, pistol swings um, mm -hmm. where they're coming from the sides. And, you know, it comes up a lot on, on this show, too, about the dogman. This isn't a diss on, on kettlebell folks, but guys, like, you know there's more to do with the kettlebell than what you're taught in a three-day course or a two-day course. And, you know, right. so, so the idea sometimes of a skier swing blows people's mind, but it's sometimes, like, for the client, like, even at base one, that actually might be the smartest swing for that person if they are obese and that bell is not comfortable going between their legs put it to the outside, narrow up their stance. There's always Absolutely. a way, right? So it's just opening up these, right. these minds, but we, we, we have to sort of get off of that. Like there are only these six things. And uh, I say that as somebody that I teach RKCs, I still think it's one of the, the best 
investments you can have in, as a fan of kettlebells or as a teacher of kettlebells. Because like, you don't even have to be a fan to do that. But if your facility is using kettlebells, you should know how to use them well. Um, but if you're a kettlebell Absolutely. nerd or are looking for ways to really gamify and really infuse play outside of the realm of costumes or curse words or whatever, um, juggling is kind of where it's at, you know, facility restrictions, you know, I'm aware of, uh, you know, it might be hard to institute a juggling program at like a crunch, but I think some of us like myself, I was closed minded about where can I do this? And so I just literally looked out my front door and I was like, Oh, I could do it right there. Right. Well, and you know, it's interesting because I never really thought about it. We talked on the phone the other day. What the, your um, demands of, of impossibilities of finding a place in New York City compared to uh, Denver, Colorado, it, it's, a, it's a totally different thing. I never thought about how difficult finding a little patch of um, ground to throw in would be. Yeah, the trick is, and you know, <laughs> I've had some, I've had some people reach out to me, you know, since I've, since I've started posting some of the progress videos and, you know, they'd be like, yeah, I tried it. I tried it at the gym and I'm like, you better be careful with whatever flooring or mats you have on that. Um, <laughs> you know, the city, it, it's interesting. It, it brings its own problems, not just for juggling, but also just getting gear around. So if you live in the suburbs or a more rural area, you can, you know, uh, load up the car, go drive somewhere, park the car, pull it out. In the city, it's like, A, you're going to get stuck in traffic. B, are you going to even be able to find a parking spot? Uh, and then, you know, do they have an elevator? Are you going upstairs? Like, there's just other elements. But again, there's always where there's a will, yeah. there's a way. But more and more, especially in New York in, in the summer, people train people outside. And if you're doing one-on-one -on -one training, yeah. you are using lighter bells. Like, you basically just need like a I'd say like an 8K through a 12K and you're pretty set for just about anybody. Cause I think if they're going lighter than That's that, true. maybe they're not written. They should just be working on their swings anyway. Um, let's talk about load actually. Cause some, somebody asked me a question, one of my online peeps, what do you suggest as a starting weight? Cause I think people's strong folks, when they get into kettlebells, uh, you know, when they say somebody's gone through an RKC, Brian, I'm giving you another shout out on the podcast. I'm talking specifically to my brother, Brian McMaster. Um, he was like asking about the weight of the belt because he was, he was struggling a little bit on it. And, uh, you know, I think people want to go real heavy out the gate. What do you suggest for starting weights for stuff? You know, um, all right, here's what I suggest. For most of it, 26, 20, 26 pounds, okay, 12K. For most women, 18 pounds. Um, if a guy is really strong and say 220, 225, then go ahead and start with 35. But really, for most people, um, 26 for men and 18 for women. And if a woman's really small, you know, um, I would start with a 15. But it's interesting with the bells because um, if you go lighter than the 18, it, it gets a little um, shaky in, in its, its center of balance. It doesn't flip well. And, you know, it's, it's interesting when you're, you're – uh, juggling bells because the heavier you go, the, the more uh, compact and the center of gravity is and the better they flip, but the heavier they are. So, yeah, but basically I would say um, 12K and, and 9K for uh, women. Yeah, I know. I've found for myself, I've been with doubles. It's usually always double 24s. Uh, sorry, double 12s. Uh, that would be mm -hmm. awesome. <laughs> it's double 24, it's double 12s. And with singles, I've messed around with 16s, but sometimes on the, you know, when you're practicing a new catch 
And, and sometimes you get like a little lurch, like not in a dangerous way. Like the 16 just feels heavy for that. So usually my single bells now I'm at a 14 K it's about 30 pounds. Um, but, uh, but mm-hmm. I agree with you on that. I think what most people don't realize when they're coming from a hard style is like that you actually from the wrist and the elbow, you know, and like the outer shoulder, that flick is very specific. So if you're not used to doing it, it's, it's not your hips that are necessarily driving the flick. You need a bell that you can control, you know, from the, from the wrist and from the hand in a different way. Um, right. it took me a little bit to, to, to get humbled by that. Cause I think I went out with like two sixteens the other day, like maybe two weeks ago. And I was just like, wow, that felt really heavy. Right. And, and it is heavy. And then another thing that, you know, when I'm working with people in the beginning and just for people to realize throughout is that when you throw it, yeah, that's one thing and you want to be smooth. You want to be able to control that weight. But when you catch it, you have to seamlessly catch that bell and tame that arc. There should be no jerking of the upper body, elbow or shoulder. You know, it should be very fluid. Yeah. Right back into that hinge, even though, you know, again, the hinge you'll see, if you see some of Gus's video, it, it's, it's shallower it's a softer style for the, for the lighter bells, but it is being absorbed. It's not yanking. Right. And when you catch it, you know, you're not getting yanked. It just, it's, it's just like water falling. It's just very, very smooth and seamless. Just beautiful to watch. Yeah. It, it, it's, uh, I don't always necessarily feel like I'm, I'm smooth and beautiful to watch, but <laughs> it's, it's, been, it's been fun trying to get to that point. Cause you know, there's, there's moments where I'm going to like, uh, try to gun it and try to learn something new. And then there's moments where I'm just trying to find the rhythm of the one thing and seeing like, can I, can I, can I bust out a bunch of these like as smooth as possible? Well, and I, and I, you wrote that the other day and when you post and that's exactly right. You know, I, I, I watch some people sometimes um, on YouTube and um, it's like, man, I wouldn't post that. You know, it, it's like, if you're going to post something, make sure it looks great. Make sure it looks, you know, like you know what you're doing and, and, and that it looks safe. You know, yeah. people post, post things out there. It's like, Ooh, careful. You know, it's just like, you know, and I think that's coming from the RKC world, you know, like we're very um, um, aware of how we represent that heart style system. And in the cat system, I'm very aware of how I represent the juggling system because it should be, it should be beautiful and it should be safe and uh, it should, you know, be proficient. So you gotta, you know, you gotta know what you're doing. And, and if it's not good, don't post it. Yeah. And, and it's interesting that, you know, we have technique tests at the end of certs. And the reason why is, is if, if we're the best, somebody we teach will likely examine or, or view this movement. Right. So if we're right. not nailing it, they're only going to be, at least in the short term to long term, a, a slightly lesser version of that, right? It's like, I don't know if people even use carbon copies anymore, but it's like, you know, it's like sending a fax of a fax of a fax. So right. the, the one downside of the internet and social media is people see stuff and they're not quite sure what's good or bad. And every now and then I'll reach out like... um there was a, there was a, a trend, you know, it's a weird one where all of a sudden like things trend, um, in any fitness world, but like in kettlebells, it seems to like really hit where there was a trend of bent pressing happening on social media. And I yeah. think bent press in, in itself is a pretty awesome lift. I think it's hard for a lot of people, including instructors to wrap their heads around about what it truly is. Some people are over specific as to what their version of it is as the right version mm-hmm. versus like uh, folks, if you're interested in the bent press, 
check out the Iron Tamer episodes here. He's like the master of it. Um, but, you know, there's a couple that, you know, posted up that really were potentially hazardous. There was a lot of like lower back stuff happening. And instead of right. bashing in the comments, I sent a message and gave like, hey, would you be open to some suggestions? And guess right. what? Man? If, if like folks, trainers, if you're not a dick about it, not commenting or bashing somebody on social media, like maybe message them and see if they're open for help. It's just like going to the gym. If you're in a gen pop gym and you see somebody doing some horrible swing that you know is not good for the lower back, find the right way to like, don't just sit by and, and, and wait for this guy to hurt himself. Just casually say something. And even if he's with a trainer, like I might pop over to the trainer and just be like, Hey, I don't want to step on your toes or anything. I think this one cue might help that guy and, and protect his lower back. Because we're all trying to do right by people, and sometimes we just don't know or we're doing the best we can. But that's an interesting thing you say the right. best. Because I have <laughs> – I think one of the things that I do try to do is I put some of the misses on. You know, after I land something, you don't see that the next rep gets dumped because I want people to see how easy it is to, to, not, to not catch it but how safe it is. Yeah. Um, to try to and, take the figure out of both That's sides. a good drop, right? A good drop doesn't drop on your head or on your foot. And it shows people a drop is a drop. That's, you know, it's safe, you know, and, and what's the worst, you know, if we're doing things right and we know we've had some instruction and, and, and some good background training, the worst thing that can happen is the kettlebell drops. No big deal. Yeah. Folks, uh, for the, however long I've been doing juggling off and on, not like a ton, I've never once felt like I was in jeopardy of a toe or my head or anything. And, you know, Gus and I were talking, the only thing I occasionally do, cause I'm still rookie at it is I occasionally like will hit my fingers a little hard on a spot of the bell, but then guess what? Gus had a tip for that. That made that go away. <laughs> Hashtag getting coached, you know, like as we should be. So it's just those things. It's really not as threatening. And I don't want this whole thing to come out as like a commercial for Gus and for the program, but it's something that just doesn't, I don't think Gus gets enough exposure for what he is and not that it's a, and what he, what he brings to the table. And it's not that it's like that should matter, but when I see he's having workshops and stuff and we're talking about having him come out uh, to New York next spring, it's, I think it's important, fun stuff. And I think it's, it's, it's easy to be dismissive of certain modalities because it might seem reckless, but you know, I just think there's a lot to be gained from it. And I also think it's a wonderful place for just kettlebell nerds and geeks that just love to swing kettlebells, trainer or not, to come and learn something new to just, uh, even if it's just to spice up stuff that you might be getting bored of. Because I, I know for me, I sometimes get straight up bored of kettlebell swings. I know that's probably, yeah. uh, you know, heresy to say that, but sometimes I just don't feel like swinging. And, uh, well, you know, you're, Here's what I tell people, Steve. I tell people all the time. It's like, okay, all I'm doing is I'm tricking you into doing a bunch of swings with all these fun techniques. Yeah. <laughs> you it's know? super because true. that's what we're doing. You know, it, it's like we get so involved and people get, have so much fun learning the technique and the different tricks that, you know, they'll keep working. And, you know, that's all we're really doing. Yeah. So if, if there's a workshop coming around and I know you're going, I know you're, you're going to go out to uh, San Diego, right? So Franz Nyman's place. Um, 
folks try yeah. to try to learn from Gus in person because it's a Gus is a great guy and Karen his wife they're both awesome uh Kim and I are going to go visit our friend Essie in Denver we, uh, we were talking about this last night Kim and I Gus trying to f- figure out what dates we're going to come out I'm going to come out and have a beer with Gus and, and Karen and, and ju- learn how to juggle some kettlebells better than I currently do and get to hang out with my friend Essie. But uh, <laughs> there's like style points when, you know, when you see Pavel swing, you're like, holy crap. That's like probably the highest example of a kettlebell swing you're going to see. Um, and then when you see Gus flip kettlebells, I remember and I wrote about this in, in an article uh, after our course is when he spins the bell and puts his hand like right above it, you can actually hear the bell at times. Like here, I'm doing this in front of the mic, like spinning under his hand. It's the craziest thing. And it's worth just seeing it just to see somebody like on such a high level of stuff we don't normally get to see. Uh, and it certainly will help put into perspective any potential in-house gym competitive competitiveness you might have oh, well, I think my get-up's better than so-and-so. Someone like Gus comes in and does this stuff, and you're just like, that's just something to aspire to <laughs> because there's zero competition points on it. So I hope this doesn't come out as like right. a commercial, but just as opening your eyes to like, why the hell would you do it? Because I know it looks bizarre. I know it looks extreme. Um, that's part of the fun of it, but I also just want to stress like that I think it's highly important and has a lot of benefit and, and not just to look cool um, with a kettlebell that certainly you will look cool when you get good flipping a kettlebell. <laughs> I'm pretty sure if you put right. juggling videos on your Tinder or grinder profiles, <laughs> you're going to get a lot of hookups. Um, maybe that's an extra benefit. <laughs> <laughs> never thought of that. That's good. I like that. We've never tried we it yet. Marketing aspect. So, yeah, so right? somebody that's on grinder and somebody that's on Tinder message me or Gus and we will coach you up on something. And then let's see how your productivity on those apps increases after you have kettlebell juggling videos or picks on there. I don't even know if you could do videos on that. Uh, juggling picks <laughs> on that. I love it. That's a great idea. I love it. Cat training. Get you laid. <laughs> it's a great tagline. <laughs> I smell shirts for the New York course. <laughs> I know. I love it. Hey, I love so it, man. In, in yeah. addition, in addition to the juggling, what else do you do? Like, so let, let's let's help show some people how you might use this in a session. In addition to the juggling, how else are your structures, your session structured? Is there is it mostly based around the juggling, or is there other stuff going on? Um, you know, I, I love to play. I get bored, so yeah. No, I use all kinds of tools. So a lot of times, what I'll do is we'll we'll do a juggling technique for you know three or four minutes, and then I'll have people jump on the endo board for three or four minutes. And I love it because, um, you know, those two modalities are totally different, right? So the nervous system has to make a total um, shift quickly to be able to start doing that skill with the the endo board, get off the endo board, and then go do, you know, any number of different um, juggling tricks. So, I love that the diversity of that where we make the brain switch gears and um, the endo board is awesome. It, uh, it's um, an amazing tool. It's way harder than people think, but I mean, way harder on the body. It, it, it's so great for the feet, the ankles, the core. And, um, 
and the, again, the brain, you know, because you say like if we're doing a, a, what we call a body barrier, which is a jump 180, you have to, you have to spot that landing with your, your eyes. So anytime we're, we're building our, our visual skills, you know, whether it's throwing a double helicopter, being able to and then catch it, um, that is real important, you know, and it's the same thing when we're jumping on a board and we're, we're, we're spinning around 180 degrees and looking for that board and looking for our landing. You know, it's just um, those visual skills are real important. So, yeah, to answer your question, I use the um, kettlebell um, juggling and indoor boards a lot together. I've never messed around with the indoor board. Maybe I need to get one of those here and, and play around with that. Well, when you come out, we'll definitely get on because it's right up your alley. It's so similar to um skateboarding and you know and i grew up skateboarding too um but the tricks are are really um similar and you know it's the same exact thing you know it's like ah so close oh man i'm getting close to that trick you know and being able to add more tricks is is real important so yeah the underboard's a gas oh that's awesome well hey we we've hit and with all the skiers yeah that's true you know it's funny all the skiers we got Whenever somebody says you should that I would be good at something because of the skateboarding, I always suck at it. Like everybody's like, "Oh, you'd love snowboarding. You'd be so good at it. You were a skateboarder. <laughs> sucked at it. Skiing sucked at it." <laughs> so I'm sure it's hard. Yeah, the indo board will fall into it uh, into that category. But that's cool. Uh, you know, I, I just want to say, like, it's um, as we start to wrap this up, I have found a sweet spot in my training and in my life activities that I haven't felt in years. And, uh, I, you know, we mentioned this on the podcast. I don't want to make it like trainers' lives are brutal, but, you know, the hardest part a lot of us face is training ourselves and getting caught up in overcomplicating stuff. And yeah. I think the juggling in my training now, in addition to, like, I'm just learning something new, which uh, with the mace training, which is just, you know, I'm figuring it out for myself right now. But with the standards of the stuff that I've been doing with OS and DVRT and the RKC, I have a very simplified training program um, that allows me a lot more free time. I'm having a lot more fun with it. I do think it's directly now more than ever helping bulletproof me and get me more responsive in the skate park, uh, specifically on my bike to the point where I've actually cool. just bought, like, it's funny now. Like, so I've been riding around on like a cruiser BMX bike. Uh, for those that know, it's like 24 inch tires, but a relatively uh, a BMX style bike. And I literally am selling that now to have basically the same size bike as my eight-year-old son to take into the park so that I can be a little bit more aggressive on it. Um, and I feel the confidence to do that as opposed to the fear of getting hurt, largely because of the way I'm training. And I do think, without a doubt, part of that is this byproduct of the juggling. Because, you know, we, we mentioned again previously, you know, the mindset, how we train is how we live on this a little bit. So if I'm having fun and dealing with frustrations and trying to land something with the juggling side of it, it feels the same in the pool now on my bike. Um, although I'm definitely in a much safer environment when I'm juggling than when I am in the pool. But, you know, again, all these <laughs> things to try to uh, minimize the risk. And yes, folks, if you're wondering, I am the old guy in the pool with my bike or my skateboard fully padded up with a helmet. So I don't need any <laughs> messages about wear a helmet I, I took a picture with my kids when they learned how to ride the bikes without my helmet on 
because I literally was helping them ride the bikes. And I just sat on my bike to take the picture. And it was like, but where's your helmet? And it was like, you are seeing one second <laughs> of my life right now. And the helmet's not on because I took a photo. Um, but right. I, I want to thank you for that because uh, it, it's just something I didn't expect to find. And now I'm in that mode where instead of like, ugh, I got to train today. It's like, oh, I got to train today. And I feel like crap if I don't. And uh, it's really like the juggling part of this is really reigniting something fun with me that I haven't had in a while. So wanted to get you on the podcast so yeah, great. directly. Um, as we start to wrap this up, as I have to go, my dog is starting. If you can hear the little nails on the wood floor, she's starting to be like, it's time to feed me and go walk, go for a walk. Uh, can you tell uh, the listeners, where can they find you? I know you have this workshop coming up. I know there's some stuff in plans potentially for Philly, but uh, tell the listeners where they can find more about you, both workshops and training and all that stuff. Yeah, they can find me at pro, um, my Facebook page, Pro Edge Kettlebells, um, or they can look me up, Gus Peterson on Facebook and um, they can go to YouTube and I got a lot of videos on um, the kettlebell juggling and in the board and combining the kettlebell juggling and in the board just for fun. I'm not, I'm not saying people should do this, but it's just something for fun to put out there um, on my channel on YouTube, Gus Peterson, P E T E R S E N uh, the Gus Peterson channel. And they can find all my videos there on YouTube. Awesome. I'll put links for all this stuff too on the, um, on the show notes. Cool. And I'd be, I'd love to get some videos. I'll show you some videos. If you need more, I'll, I'll send you some. Yeah. Please send me and folks come, come to the coach Fury, uh, uh, facebook.com slash coach Fury podcast. We'll put some exclusive Gus skills videos up. It's, it's super cool to watch and it's inspiring and, uh, eye opening for me. And, uh, yeah. If, if you're in San Diego, come take the workshop. Um, I know John Bear and I, and, and you have been talking, uh, oddly enough, I was talking with Gus about, you know, how do we make this thing happen out here? And at the same time, John, who went through the same course with me, who's a, he's an awesome dude out in Pennsylvania has been talking with Gus. So we're going to try to unite and make something happen here. So, uh, keep an eye out. Um, it's cool stuff. Don't, don't just put it as some sort of like, uh, extreme form of kettlebells. Like, yeah, there's like an edge to it, but it's super fun, and any I do think anyone can do it. I don't think it has to be like – you don't have to be some super high-level performer to do this. You just have to have a good coach and patience. Um, well, and my, my oldest uh, student is 78 years old, so anybody can do it. Amazing. She's awesome. <laughs> That's yeah. so cool. So, Gus, at the end of the show, um, can you tell the listeners to die mighty? That's kind of my tagline. Die mighty. <laughs> awesome. Hey, listeners, thanks for, <laughs> thanks for checking this out. Gus, thank you for coming on. Uh, thanks, Coach. You, you know, I, I, I'm going to wrap it up with this, with another, like, nod to Gus and Karen. You, I, I've been a lot of workshops. I've met a lot of gym owners. I've hosted a lot of people. And, you know, I can't honestly say – well, I can't honestly say nobody's ever been, like, a dick or anything. But, like, you meet some people that you're just, like, they are solid people. And Gus and Karen are like that. So it's easier to support people. It's outside of a brand doing his own thing. It's just really cool. So, uh, folks, check out their stuff. And, Gus, again, we will continue to talk, and I will see you in Denver. But, you know, we're going to make something happen next year here um, to, to, to shine some more light on this subject. And folks, stay, check out the Facebook page and thank you for listening. Another one is in the books. We're approaching our 50th episode rapidly. That is crazy. 
So thank you for joining in on the show. I think it's important for people to know, man, that, you know, exercise is good, but then we can also combine exercise with high neural demands and that can actually, you, you know, help them come back from something like this or recover from something. Okay. So, um, I'm going to, listeners, we, we just signed off and Gus went on to a story that I, I was sort of hoping would come up, but I didn't want to pry out because I didn't know if it was, if it was too personal or not. But um, guys, can you, can you fill the listeners in on, on what you were just telling me? Because I, I think it's actually like, and I'll explain why on a couple of reasons, super, such a super important message um, about this system and the idea of also training the brain as much as it is training the body. Can you, can you let the listeners in on this? Yeah, just telling the coach that it's been seven years now. Um, I was 52 years old. And um, we actually had come back from Arkansas, and we'd, so we'd been flying all night. Anyway, um, I had this uh, penis that just wouldn't go away. And um, long story short, uh, went into the hospital, and they sent me back and said, oh, it's an inner ear thing from flying, and um, went back to the emergency room. And it turns out that I had um, a major stroke, so... 70, 80% of my left cerebellum um, was destroyed. I had what we call a PFO, which is a hole in my heart, undiagnosed, and it took 52 years for um, a blood clot to find its way out of this opening in my heart, and boom, right into my lower left cerebellum. It told me that it was going to probably take me four to six months to learn how to walk again. I was admitted on a Tuesday afternoon. Um, I walked out on a Friday afternoon and was back to work that Monday. And I, I feel very, very grateful and very lucky that I was able to recover. Uh, the neurologists, when they look at me, they look at me like I'm a three-headed monkey. Um, but the only thing that I can figure is that from doing the cat system and the juggling at this high of a level, um, that the neuroplasticity in my brain was such that what would have taken people anywhere from four months to 18 months to, um, you know, rewire their brain. I was able to do in four days and, and I, um, I attribute it all to the high neural training that I've seen with the cat system. So man, uh, a, I'm, I'm so glad you shared that story and obviously it's kind of amazing. And if somebody was to recover that quickly, um, <laughs> it would be you because, <laughs> uh, if you get to meet us, but I I've never shared this with you because we, we just haven't been in touch as much, but like I've actually shared a version of that story that I've heard about you when in an OS course, when we talk about neuroplasticity, because I think it's easy for people to like, uh, not have a real world example of what it is like when you have mm -hmm. that. Um, cause you know, in OS, right. we talk about like, uh, you know, gate patterning and midline crossing and using your eyes. And mi when you're doing a transfer, midline crossing, gate patterning, flipping right. one the other, even though you're not necessarily moving the legs, I just think it's such a wonderful testament. So, uh, thank you so much for sharing that officially on the podcast. I didn't want to pry into it. Um, so I think that is awesome. Uh, yeah, so on that, I think it's important for people to know they can yeah. get better and, you know, hopefully we can help people. Yeah, it, it's folks, it's like training the neurology aspects of training your brain while doing your strength training. It, it doesn't have to be like super weird. It's just, it's important to factor in um, for a long, healthy life, not just like an in the now healthy life. So um, that was awesome. Gus, thanks, brother. 
Thanks, Coach. The Coach Fury Podcast is created, owned, and produced by Steve Coach Fury Holliner for Fury Industries, LLC. Music provided by The FTW. Visit the FTW.nyc for band, tour, music, and merch info. Artwork created by Glenn Gurrieta. Visit glengurrieta.com. That's G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A. Or follow him on Instagram at Glenn Gurrieta. Voiceover by Laura Palmer.